Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to our final week on our series uh, called Serve. Today, we're talking about the heart to serve. And uh, when I started coming to this church 34 years ago as a high school student, I, I, something stood out to me, uh, being someone who didn't go to church ever before that. And it was this. These people are weird. Uh, it, it was different than what I was used to. So maybe I can explain a little bit. They, these were people that seemed to genuinely care about me. And they didn't expect anything in return. Now, kind of the culture of my life was uh, uh, I was used to coaches cussing me out and neighbors that I was afraid of. I even had this uh, tiny little Italian grandmother who liked to yell at me. And as tiny little Italian grandmothers do, uh, that was kind of what I was was used to. But, But the folks here were different. They seemed to march to the beat of a different drum. Uh, they loved, they served, they were selfless, they sacrificed. And the, the more time that I spent with them, the more I saw that not just play out in my life, but in the lives of others. And what I began to understand was as I was just starting to read the Bible and the, uh, read about the life of Jesus, I was starting to see what it actually looked like to walk with Jesus by being around these people. Now, Jesus said this. He said, Here's the, here will be the telling sign in the world that you belong to me by the way you love, by the way you love others, by the way you love one another. And, and, and when they, he, Jesus was pressed, what's the most important commandment? He said it was to love, to love God and to love others, that these two things really could not be separated. And so we will, we will show who we are by our love of God and our love of others. And, and you can see sometimes the tension that sometimes we don't get those two, we don't do them both well together, that we, we can't do one without the other. And Jesus didn't give us that option, that we have to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And sometimes people are really strong at that, but they're just kind of jerky, right? Uh, other times people are very loving to a community or want to be very loving to the community, but at the expense of being uh, uh, loyal to the things that God has said, his commandments, and the, and the things that he says, look, these are the things that bring life. And so we cannot separate these two of love of God and love of others. And so for the Christian, though, really this whole experience and this, des- and this desire to love is the result of, of being loved, right? It is the result of us, and what we see, maybe where we see, see it most clearly is at the cross, that we see at the cross really the, the dynamic character of the lover more than we see the beloved. What we see, I mean, in some ways what we see, uh, Romans 5 uh, says it this way, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so we understand God's love in, in some ways that there's this, this radical expression that is built in not in, a, in some ways, the, the worthlessness of, 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 the, of the person being loved. Not really, there's no, nothing attractive about us. But what we see is the, how amazing is this love of God. And as we think about this, this idea, what we begin to see is 
ultimately, then the call for the Christian is to love others with the, the, to the same extent and in some ways in the way that we have been loved. As we have been loved in this radical, dynamic way, we are called now to express that love to others. And we've been seeing this week after week, this idea that our service is going to be uh, uh, marked by this. And so here's our, our final big idea. You'll see it in the passage today. Um, but I think you'll see, once again, it is important in where we're going when we talk about service, that godly service is motivated by selfless love. In the passage today, the Apostle Paul is going to use the word love a number of times. Now, it's important that you understand the, the word that he's, he's using. He's using this, this word agape. Uh, and this word agape, this Greek word agape, is important because he could have chosen a lot of different words about uh, that express love, but he's intentionally picked this word, and it's a strange word because it's very seldom used outside of the Bible. In fact, a lot of classical scholars say it's, you only see it used a few times outside of the scriptures. But when it's used outside of scriptures, it's, it's kind of anemic. It's, it's kind of weak. It, it comes across as kind of goodwill. But when the biblical writers use this word agape for love, what they're trying to express is this is a selfless love. This is a love that is, that is deeply uh, uh, tied into this, this idea uh, that we're seeking the highest good for someone else. It's not primarily a love of emotions. It is mindset. It's an it's a orientation of the will. And so 116 times in the New Testament, mostly 75 times by Paul in his letters, when he's trying to explain to churches both how you have been loved and now how you must love. This selfless love that God has shown to you, this is now the expectation of what we will show each other. And so let's watch him use this uh, in 1 Corinthians 13. Would you turn to 1 Corinthians 13? Page 1,152. And as we uh, prepare to look at this, this is, this is one of those chapters in the Bible. It's familiar. Uh, it is poetic. I mean, this is, like, this is a, a, a passage of scripture that gets placed in a movie like Wedding Crashers, where they, everyone kind of laughs. Aha, uh-huh, yeah, every wedding, yeah, you got this. We- I, my wedding, we had this this passage uh, read in. It's typically kind of seen as the wedding passage, but that's not what Paul's intent was. In fact, I would say this, 20-year-olds love the poetic part of it, but they have no idea what they're getting themselves into by having it read in their wedding because what you're going to see it demands, talk to someone who's been married 20 years. They will tell you, are you sure you want that in there? Because you haven't quite figured out what marriage is yet. Uh, Be sure, you you know, you're going to get what you asked for. But in 1 Corinthians, what we see is this. Remember where we've been. We, we spent two weeks looking at chapter 12. And as we looked at that, the whole point was to see that there was, there was a, some dysfunction in the church. They, uh, God, in his gracefulness, gives us gifts to be used to selflessly love and serve other people. The problem is some people, as they saw their, uh, and they were receiving gifts, they were elevating some people, they were pushing down others, and this obviously does not create a, a great church environment. And so Paul's challenging that. He's helping us see that every single one of us, because of the Spirit dwelling in us, has been given a gift or gifts to be used to bless other people. And, and it's important that we manage those, we steward those well, we'll be accountable to God for those. 
But it's also important that we understand that all of us, almost like a band, as Pastor Matt said, all of us, if we use our gifts together, we come together in this great harmony. We, we together are so much better than we are apart. And so everyone must discover their unique place and how to use it well uh, together. And so in chapter, it's very interesting. So there's all this conversation about giftedness and the superiority of gifts and seeking higher gifts. And then Paul ends this way, but let me show you a higher way. And he enters into this chapter. And so here's the first thing I want you to see as we look at it, is that selfless love is greater than gifting. It's greater than gifting. And Paul's going to say, you're gifted, great. But love is more significant than how talented or gifted you are. And as we see it, uh, that gifts really only have value when they are used in love. So here he goes. He says, starting in verse 1, he says, So let me give you an example. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have a gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, if I give my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now stop there for a second because notice what he's doing. He has taken some of the gifts in the previous chapter and he said, okay, let's, let's try to imagine some of these gifts used at their highest level, but separated from love. And he says, they're worthless. They're nothing. They're, they're, think of it this way. He says, it's like, uh, it sounds like a gong or a clanging cymbal. I mean, can you imagine if Sandra this morning, her, her, they stripped away all the band and the only thing you had for worship this morning was Sandra up here with two cymbals going clang, 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 clang. And you would have said, man, I'm going to the 830 service where it's a little more peaceful and quiet and has some rhythm to it because this is noise. This isn't music. That's his point. He's like, these things separated from love, they just make noise. They're useless. They're meaningless. They're not worth anything. Put it in our context. Uh, we, we have this potential, this incredible potential for good. But, the, but it's worthless apart from love. So I don't know if you've ever met Mr. Gabe before. I'm, I'm guessing a lot of you have your children with Mr. Gabe in his care right now. Mr. Gabe is, we are so blessed to have Mr. Gabe. I, I think we're, we're going like 13 years or something with him. He is simply amazing. He is someone who can teach and lead and play guitar and sing and songwrite. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say this, that in my yard, uh, practically every single day, there are elementary kids singing and dancing to Mr. Gabe's songs. They are out in front doing the hand motions, singing the songs that we have and the recordings. In fact, our neighbors have started to com uh, comment. It's really entertaining watching your front yard. Like there's just a, it's like there's a show going on every day. But imagine, imagine Wednesday night. All this goes to, like the way that Gabe sees this is I'm Mr. Gabe. You see him come on Wednesday night, he's got his sunglasses on, his Sharpie in his hand, he's kind of 
Hey, what's up? Hey, hey. He's kind of making his way through all the way to his autograph table where he's going to sign copies of his uh, VBS CD. And uh, as kids are coming up to him, he's like, you know, I, I don't got time for this, you know. And on and on it goes. If we're in staff meeting, we're talking about something, and he says, no, it won't be like this. Do you know who I am? I'm Mr. Gabe. I will take my minions and we'll leave this place. <laughs> now, I'd be intimidated by that because he is quite powerful. But you see in some ways that, that love and self-interest, if this is what motivates us and motivates our service, boy, you can see where the bottom falls out of it real quick. Our giftedness and, our, and, and love must go together. But notice what he's saying. Apart from love, these things have no value. Love, selfless love, is greater than gifting. So then he says this. So, so let me show you what love looks like. And here's the second point that we see. That selfless love reveals itself in action. In action. That we see that this love is not an emotion But it's something, as Paul says, it's something that should be seen and experienced and demonstrated. In essence, what he says is this. Here's what love looks like. Verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, when you see Paul describing these verbs of uh, describing love, what you see is how a believer will behave in a certain way. He will do or not do certain things because of this kind of person that he is or she is. And what you see is this, is that they're present continuous verbs, meaning there's something about these, this description that means th- this is who we have to be, become. Now, you can, when you look at this, you see that this is a person filled with the Spirit, being led by God's Spirit more and more. What you might even say is, this is what it would look like to walk with Jesus, right? Because if you took love out and you... Put Jesus in there. Jesus is patient, is kind. He did not envy. He did not boast. He wasn't proud. Like you could go through all this and go, oh yeah, that, that I think really is how you see Jesus. And I think that's how it would feel to walk with Jesus. But if these are present continuous things, they're supposed to be part of our character, developed as part of our character. What, what, uh, the way Paul will say it, he uses this, this idea of, be, of Christ being formed in you. Uh, or what we might use, the, you might hear the term to be a disciple, a discipleship, as we talked last week, of, of, of having a master leader teacher and taking his life or her life on as you follow. That's what a disciple does is follow the leader. If this is supposed to become more and more true of who we are, let me ask you, put your name in there. Bill is patient. Bill is kind. He does not envy. First hour, people started groaning. I don't know why that. And you begin to think of that and you go, wow. Wow, Jesus, you and I have some work to do, don't we? Think about these words. Think about this, this description. And I apologize how fast I'm going to talk right now, but I, I don't know any other way how to do this many descriptions. But he says this, love is patient. 
It means this, that it suffers for a long time. It holds on. And you think of, think of the struggles Jesus would have with his disciples, how they wouldn't get it. And yet he continued to have this patience with them. He could say to Peter, you're going to betray me. And then in the, in the, really almost in the same breath say, now, but when you return, I need you to take care of these guys. Man, that's patience. To say, I know you're going to fail me, but we're going to work through it. And when we work through it, I, I need to be able to count on you. Our service should be characterized by patience. I, some of you probably dropped off your child. I don't know uh, if he was in there today, but in the nursery, we have a, a man named Eugene Kaneshiro. And if you want to see patience in action, you just watch uh, you know, this kind of serve life marked by selfless love. Eugene models patience. I mean, think about working in the nursery. It's, it's not the easiest job to do. Babies are cute, but they cry and they poop and they, they do a lot of things that make you panic, Okay. But Eugene never panics. He patiently rocks and carries and soothes and pushes the stroller and does whatever needs to be done because what he knows is this, that, that a lack of patience isn't going to solve the problem. So he's patient. He patiently finds a solution because love is patient. But these two go together. Notice that love is kind. Patience and kindness are together. The way you express patience is with kindness. And we know this, that our life with, with Jesus came as a result of kindness. That what you began to realize was, my guess is very few of you are here today because you got scared into the kingdom. Scaring anyone into anything rarely works, rarely lasts. There are scientific studies to show this. And that's why the Bible says this, God, that's not God's intent, is to scare you into life with him. It says it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. When you begin to see his love and his desires for your heart, what you begin to realize is he wants the best for you. And so you, you chase him, you follow him because you believe in Jesus, there is life. I look at people that serve in our office. We have a lot of volunteers, men and women who come and the work's a little monotonous. But you talk about people who are patient and kind. They, they, they take on these tasks, always smiling, always encouraging, always asking us how we're doing, which is important because we get to be a little bit of a hot mess in there. There's just a lot of stress, a lot of movement going on, and we're all racing around trying to make sure everything's good for Wednesdays and Sundays and everything else in between. And these folks that, that serve, they serve with great kindness, thinking about us instead of themselves. Service must be marked by patience and kindness. Now, notice these next five things. These next five things all get to the darker part of us. There's a, the, these next five things you're going to see, realize, you start to see some of the ugliness in you that you're not going to want to see, but you need to see, and I need to see. And what we see, again, is in these next five descriptions, again, think about Jesus and the unique way he trusted his life to God. He did not insist upon his rights. He did not uh, 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 panic in any way that there was a sense that everything was in God's hands. And we see the selfless love coming out again and again. And that a person who's filled with this love will serve in the same way. It says this, that love does not envy. It means this, that it doesn't cherish rivalry or competition. Instead, 
the, the, the idea is to ask this, how do I serve? How do I help my brother or sister get ahead? Uh, I want to encourage you. I know a lot of you serve on teams. You serve with others around you. You may be on a discipleship team, uh, training or teaching youth or kids or others. And how important it is to be the one who, who does not get kind of uh, mother hen syndrome and kind of gather it. To, it's all about me. But, but uh, the, the beautiful teams here at the church do not envy. I see this all the time. I got a chance to spend a week at our high school camp and watching people like uh, Monica and uh, Bonnie and uh, 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 Paige and Chelsea, these teams that just, they're just so thoughtful as they work together, wanting to raise up the other person. Love does not envy. And love does not boast. It means this literally. It means love is, love is you can't be loving and be a windbag. Okay? You can't be full of yourself. And it suggests that this, uh, in some ways, a, a movement away from self-centeredness to an, a, an attention and a desire to draw the attention and the celebration on someone else. Love looks for the best in others. It looks to celebrate others, to affirm them, to encourage them, to rejoice with those who rejoice. I love that you got to uh, host today, Jenna, because I don't know that anyone is better at celebrating others. I know I'm making you super nervous, but those of you who've served with Jenna in the past know this, that there's really, I don't know if there's anyone who's better at raising up others and making a big deal about other people. Love does not boast. Love inspires, encourages, and makes sure others get the credit. You see this even in Jenna's prayers. You listen to it. It was, not, it was about us uh, doing the right things. Love is not proud. It literally means this, that love does not get puffed up and arrogant. Uh, proud servants don't wash feet. But humble servants do. Those who are filled with selfless love, they are willing to wash feet. Kyle Riccio is on our board. He's a, success, a successful executive. He's, he's a leader here. But if you ever come to an event, and even on some Sundays, he's the last person to leave. He's folding chairs and tables. And I know a lot of you are like this too. In some ways, it would seem that he, he you know, because of his status, he shouldn't do those kinds of things. But see, selfless, loving servants are not proud. Love does not dishonor others. And we think of the ways that the Corinthians were shaming others, but selfless love is not rude. Love, it says, is not self-seeking. It's not enamored with self-gain, self-justification, or self-worth. It's always looking for the good of others. And Jesus really pushes us on this one. Because think about what Jesus says, that we are not only to love our neighbor, but we are also called to love our enemy. Jesus pushes us in a way much further than any of us would push ourselves. With selfless love, praise as, as Jesus did, not my will but yours be done. Well, these last descriptions show not the, the weakness in us, but maybe what happens when we encounter the weakness of others. It says that love is not easily angered. After uh, Peter let down Jesus and betrayed him. Again, think about it. Jesus looked to restore him. 
So let me ask you this. Are you easily angered? Could you easily write people off because they don't agree with you? Because they, they did something against you? Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It's, it's a, a bookkeeping term. It means that love doesn't even write it down. doesn't put it in the ledger. When Jesus was on the cross, he said these words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Father, wipe it off the books. Don't count this against them. And then we get to Acts chapter 7. And, and Stephen, who's now giving his life and martyrdom for standing for Jesus, as people grab rocks and they're going to crush his skull, he could say in the same way, because love keeps no record of wrongs, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Selfless love does not keep a record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. And this is two sides of one coin. But when you're loved by this love, you embody it and you want the same things that this loving God wants. You rejoice in what God rejoices in and you fail to delight any longer in the things that don't bring him joy. Love stands on the side of the gospel and wants mercy and justice for all, even those we may not agree with. It always protects. It keeps out resentment. It bears all things. It always trusts. And Jesus invited us not only to be people of our word, but to, to seek the best in people. Love always hopes. It doesn't despair. It carries on like a strong soldier. Love always perseveres. It endures. It lasts. Peter again. Remember this moment. Peter, Peter wanted to defend Jesus when they came to arrest him. He swipes. He cuts off the ear of the guy. And Jesus says, stop. And I love this kind of picture of enduring love. Because Jesus says this. Look, if I didn't want this to happen, I could call down legions of angels. Basically, when you start doing the math, so I think it's like 144. I could call down, basically, he says, 144,000 angels to defend me. I have no problem being defended right now. But he's enduring something. The writer of Hebrews says this, that for the joy set before him, that Jesus endured the cross, he scorned its shame. And what is that, what is that joy? That joy is his love of, of God, is his love of us. And out of love, he persevered because selfless love perseveres. Love never fails. Everything else we pursue, every other motivation for our greatness, success, or pleasure will fade away, but not, not love. None of those things will last, but love never fails. Notice uh, uh, Richard McBride says these things. He says, if love is the soul of the Christian existence, it must be at the heart of every other Christian virtue. Thus, for example, justice without love is legalism. Faith without love is ideology. Hope without love is self-centeredness. Forgiveness without love is self-abasement. Fortitude without love is recklessness. Generosity without love is extravagance. Care without love is mere duty. Fidelity without love is servitude. Every virtue is an expression of love. No virtue is really a virtue unless it is permeated or informed by love. This selfless love is what matters most. It is what 
will last. And this is why, here's our last point, that this love is eternal, while gifting is only temporary. Selfless love is eternal, while gifting is only temporary. This agape love, will, will, it is endless. It'll be, the, it'll be the endless part of our existence. But this gifting is for a purpose, and it's for, it will come to an end. Notice what he says as he finishes the passage. He says, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Paul says gifting is temporary. It has a point. It has a purpose. But they're only a part of the story. When Christ returns, there will be no need to prophesy or, or have knowledge or, or any other gift will be needed at that time. All of this is, is basically glimpses. There's a foreshadowing of the perfection that is to come. And he uses this illustration. He says, think about like looking in a mirror. And in Corinth, they were known for these bronze mirrors that they made. And, and his point is this, that you can look through a reflection and you get it. You can see something. But seeing a reflection or looking through a window or looking through a, a, a lens in some ways is different than being there face to face. We might look at it in our context as, you know, you can look at someone in a photo or you can look at someone face to face and it's, there's a difference. And what he's pushing is this. There's a day coming where we're getting glimpses of it, but we see pictures of it and we kind of know, I know it's coming. But he's saying to us, friends, he's saying to us, there's a day coming in which we will experience this selfless love in all its fullness forever and ever and ever. He says, love, this love never ends. It will never collapse. It will never fold. It will never fade. Love is the main thing. And our, our service, godly service, then must be motivated by selfless love. This is, this is what we see all throughout this. And so as you think about this morning and this whole series, let me just invite you in these, these final moments to, to uh, consider this as our service comes, kind of finishes uh, this morning and our series comes to an end. How has God been inviting you to grow in selfless, loving service? Now, when we started this service, we wanted to do a couple things. One, we wanted you to just see that the character of, of, of service is central to the life of the Christian. It's central to the life of the church. Why? Because it was, it was who Jesus was. He, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life away as a ransom for many. We, we've been challenging you to serve like Jesus. But we don't want you just to have a mindset about this. We've, we've wanted to challenge you also to, to think about, well, how do I do this? Yes, but how? Well, 
You've been given gifts. Let's figure that out. Let's, let's, let's find. There's, there, are, there are things happening at this season of your life where you can make a difference, where you can join God in what he's doing as part of his great mission to bring about this, this great completion. Will you join him? And we've been trying to push you in some ways, not just to, wow, that's interesting. That's, that's great. I'm, I'm all for it. But to say, I'm for it. Therefore, I'm stepping into it. Where do I get my hands dirty? How do I help? And if you haven't figured that out yet, today we last day on the patio that you can go. Brandon's on the patio. Uh, underneath, there's a little table underneath the tent. And, and we would love to, to walk through that with you. And Brandon can kind of host you through what could be some next steps of how we can help you figure that out if you're still trying to figure out what that looks like. But some of you, I'm guessing, have been thinking through, wow, I can feel you nudging me or pushing me, wanting me to grow in a way. Some of you are thinking about ways that I just need to, I need to grow and improve in selfless, loving service. But I think when we see selfless, loving service, we get a glimpse of what it means to walk with Jesus. Uh, when we were at the men's retreat, uh, uh, there was a guy named Frank, and he was sharing a little bit about um, sponsoring kids. And, and uh, it was an interesting presentation, but he said something that kind of triggered something for me. He talked about growing up in this youth group, uh, and he mentioned his youth pastor, this guy named Vaughn. Now, the reason it triggered for me is it, just in my little circles over the last uh, decade or so, I keep meeting people who were in this youth group by this guy, Vaughn. And, and I'm like, they're, they're, they're just doing amazing things for the kingdom. They're missionaries in remote parts of the world. They're so, I mean, so many of the students of this guy's youth group are out changing the world that I went up to Frank and I'm like, what was it about your youth group? What was it about Vaughn? Because everywhere I go, I hear this guy's name and it's a little weird. Okay, and he kind of just tell me about it and tell him about what it was like and some of the people. And I was reading a story about someone else and it's like, here you go again, another guy who, who knew Vaughn. And the, the guy described it this way. He talked about spending a, a day with Vaughn. Vaughn was a pastor down in San Diego and he would go down into Tijuana. And when he'd go down into Tijuana, he would take groups in there and they would go to the dumps in Tijuana. So not the taco stands, they'd go down to the dumps. And in the dumps, there was, uh, there was a ministry that they would do. And they care for these kids, uh, particularly, that are rummaging through, trying to find food that might be homeless or living, or families that are kind of living in the trash. And Vaughn would do all kinds of things with these groups. They'd bring food. They would bring uh, uh, toys. They would bathe these kids. Uh, as, as kind of challenging as that was. They would do all the kinds of things and, and people would talk. I mean, there, was, there were lines of people that wanted to kind of experience this. And, the, and one guy who got a chance to go through this, he, he basically talked about what it was like. He says, if Jesus was on earth, I think this is what it would look and feel like to walk with him. Vaughn just loved everyone he ran into and the, and the world, uh, and he would tell them about God. People were just drawn in to his love and affection and then he said this, the day I spent with Vaughn was the closest thing I've ever experienced to walking with Jesus. So the guy who was telling the story said this, he asked this question, and I thought it was a good question. He said this, would anyone in their right mind say that about me? Would anyone in their right mind say that about us? That when I spent a day with them, it was like spending a day with Jesus. 
Friends, what do you want to be known for? What do you want to be remembered for? Let's take a moment just silently. The band will come and get set up and lead us through some final songs. But would you just silently pray through this? God, how are you inviting me to grow in selfless, loving service? So let's bow. Let's pray together. Take a moment silently. Just let the Lord speak into your heart. And then we'll sing together these final songs.